Welcome to Instruction Interruption, a podcast to celebrate New Mexico education in every corner of our beautiful state. I am host Mandy Torres, the 2020 New Mexico Teacher of the Year. Join us as educators talk pedagogy and practice and even share lessons they have learned along their teacher journey. This podcast is sponsored by the New Mexico Oil and Gas Association and is produced in collaboration with the New Mexico Public Education Department. This week, I begin with a heartfelt thank you to New Mexico for all of the support I received during my tenure as Teacher of the Year. Whether you followed me on Twitter or asked me to speak to your class or organization, I truly appreciated the opportunities to learn so much about our schools, our students, and our teachers. If I inspired or empowered even one voice to speak up for this incredible profession of teaching in this incredulous time of change, then I leave with one essential piece of work completed. Yet there is so much more to do. This will be my final podcast as Teacher of the Year, but I will continue to advocate for teachers as the teacher liaison for the NMPED. I am excited that this new role will allow me to keep connecting with New Mexico educators and that it also will afford me the opportunity to work with our 2021 Teacher of the Year, Alisa Cooper de Uribe, a first grade teacher at the New Mexico International School in Albuquerque. Today, I will introduce you to Elisa's passion for teaching, as well as what you can expect from her in the coming year as she takes on this important work of teacher advocacy. Elisa was born in Wyoming and grew up in Raton. She holds a bachelor's degree in English from Abilene Christian University and a master's degree in Spanish from Middlebury College. She has been with the New Mexico International School for nine years and has helped develop its International Baccalaureate Program of Inquiry for Spanish Immersion School. I am so excited for you to get to know this well-rounded educator whom I already think of as a friend. So put your pencils down and listen up. We're ready to interrupt your day with the 2021 New Mexico Teacher of the Year. Thank you, Elisa Cooper de Arriba, for joining us today. I am so excited to have you on in this kind of passing the torch. I, I feel like it's passing the torch to you as our new 2021 New Mexico Teacher of the Year. So I just want to start out and let our listeners get to know you a little bit. So let's talk about your teacher story. How did you find your way into the classroom? I found my way into the classroom, Mandy, through a very meandering type of path. I started loving school, even as a child growing up in Raton, going to school from kindergarten through 12th grade in Raton. I always loved it. School has been something that I've enjoyed and engaged with from the very beginning. And as I went through my studies after high school, my English degree and then my Spanish minor, and then subsequent to that, my studies in Spanish for a master's degree opened up doors that were always very service oriented and involved teaching and helping others. 
um, and included a little bit of education as well. But there were a lot of exploration times that I was um, using my years for. So I worked from the Metropolitan Opera for a year in human resources. Oh, wow. And yeah, it was a wonderful opportunity for me to meet a lot of people in the art world and then at the same time uh, develop a lot more knowledge about what human resources involves and how to help people get what they need. So I did that. I worked for a couple of years as a librarian for an elementary school in New York City there and then also had experience in the classroom for a year as a third grade teacher. But I moved to Mexico after that first year of formal teaching and worked as a translator and a volunteer coordinator and then moved to Albuquerque after a few years and went into a completely different field working in family immigration for a few years. So all of the things that I did, I was very passionate about in terms of being able to help people. But by the time I had been working in immigration for a couple of years, I became a new mother. And I realized that the way that all of the things that I loved learning about coalesced really channeled themselves into what I wanted for my daughter as, as her mother. And in distilling my goals as a mother and, and, and for my child, I really felt like being a bicultural and multilingual person here in New Mexico was something that I wanted not only for her, it was something I wanted for more people, more children like her of her generation, because it was not something that I had. Um, I grew up in New Mexico, but I grew up as a monolingual English speaker. And after all of my professional experience outside of college, um, I realized that being bilingual or multilingual and having the opportunity to connect with people and to help people in more than one language that it, um, it was a gift that I wanted to give not only to my daughter, but more children. And so after all of that time, I began studying at Eastern New Mexico University for my alternative licensure. And I did get my alternative license after I had begun teaching in a bilingual Spanish immersion school for a few years. So becoming a mom, that was really how I found my way permanently into the classroom. And, um, and it was, I guess just the crossroads of all of the things that I love so much, language and learning and school and being able to provide that to more people here in New Mexico, which is where I grew up. It's so interesting. It feels like the more teachers that I get to know, the more, the more room that I uh, learn come from all these varied backgrounds, like with all of this um, other career and life experience. And it, it feels like it just makes the makes your classroom experience just more that more richer because you can bring more to your students. So I love our teachers that come from those different backgrounds. So what was the alternative licensure process like for you? Was it pretty scary? Did you feel pretty supported? You know, we have a lot of teachers going through that process, you know, especially with the pandemic and our teacher shortage. And it feels pretty important that we make sure that we're getting it right for those teachers. I feel like Eastern in particular has a very supportive program. From the moment that I started taking classes there, I received a lot of guidance from the individual professors who taught the classes that I took in addition to um, my counselor who was helping me select the classes that I needed. 
So for me, having gone through the program at Eastern, uh, I can highly recommend it as a program that I feel prepared me really well in particular for being a bilingual teacher, but for being an, an, an elementary education teacher in general. But with that said, I have to say that um, it definitely helped that I had prior school exper experience and it's impossible to parse out what my previous experience was and how it influenced it. But having taught in a monolingual school for as a librarian, as a teacher, I know that that prepared me to be more receptive and feel more supported, I think, in the alternative licensure program. And I also had taken um, previously a bilingual education class through Highlands, which was phenomenal. In fact, my professor was Mary Jean Haberman Lopez, who recently um, published the book that she had co-edited about bilingual education. So I also had the foundation of her excellent class and I had actually taken the prueba at my sister-in-law's request just because it would be a good thing to do. <laughs> so there were some factors that had already been put in place that I think facilitated the alternative licensure program, which um, may be different from, from others. But I have to say that I, I agree with you in that having had professional experience in other fields had developed some skills that definitely made teaching easier to move into and also I think set the stage for me being able to get as much as I could out of that program. But I highly recommend it. If there's one thing that I also hope to communicate to people who have an inkling about exploring education is that it is so worth it. And I know that um, in the case of Eastern, their alternative licensure program is excellent and prepared me well, and I believe can prepare others well to become teachers and to bring their unique professional experiences to the to the table. So I want to ask you a little bit about teaching in the pandemic right now. So um, I know APS has you know opted to be online, and I believe your your school is teaching online. Um, so what is on your heart right now as you're navigating all of this kind of craziness um, of the pandemic and the teaching and learning within it? I feel like there are concentric circles around my heart <laughs> of things that I have on my heart right now, um, beginning with the, the very personal, most um, inside part of my heart that what I have um, weighing on me is the time that I am taking away from my family in order to relearn and redesign what I feel is the best instruction for my kids in these very different circumstances. I love my job so much and I feel very compelled to try my best to learn and reconfigure all that I know in order to meet the needs of what we have now. But it is definitely a time commitment that I'm juggling in terms of doing what I need to do to do my best at my job and then remain present with my family. And so having a student in third grade as I am teaching in a pandemic is something that I am, I'm cognizant of all the time. So on my heart is my family and my daughter while I'm teaching in, in a highly demanding time. But my daughter's a student, but then I have my students this year. And because we're such a unique school and in first grade, the majority of my students are Spanish language learners. 
the difference that I see in the amount of language production that my students are able to give me now, as opposed to a typical school year, is different. And so also on my heart is the, the bilingual development of my students. And I know that they are meeting me halfway as best they can. And I know that I am doing my best to give them the input that they can have, but I do see that um, it's different. And so their development as, as Spanish speakers is, is weighing on me right now. And I see bright spots every day, but it's something that I'm also very aware of and thinking about a lot. Um, and then their families too, the community as a whole here in Albuquerque, also the whole state of New Mexico. I know that school districts are making the best decisions that they can for the students and their families to keep people safe. I also feel grateful to be able to be at home and teach. I, we have a multi-generational household and my mother-in-law who's 83 lives with us. I, I really appreciate the time that administrators have taken to make decisions that are keeping everyone's interest at heart but I see so many families who I've connected with in my class who their kids are lonely and the grandparents are struggling. And it's a lot of emotional toll that there's an unknown there in terms of the brain development of my students and their isolation. Right. Yeah. And not just my own, I think about, you know, the neighbors across the street in high school and middle school and the uncertainty of possible lasting social effects on, on the whole child or the students that we have, um, it's, it's something that I've been sitting with too. And so, yeah, from, from myself to the community, it's, it's all in my heart. Yeah, there's so many things that weigh so heavily. I was just having a conversation with one of my friends about worrying about my own daughters. Like, what is this pandemic doing to them and, and how is it gonna affect them you know, socially and emotionally? Um, you know, and, and as teachers, of course, not just our own kids, but then we're worried about, you know, our other kids, you know, that are, you know, that are like our own children that we spend so much time with and caring about. So yeah, it's just so heavy for teachers and families right now. But going back to kind of the teacher perspective, I really especially worry about our new teachers. We both could probably think back to our first year of teaching and, and how difficult it was. And I can't imagine what our first year teachers are going through, not only the weight of their first year, but also this teaching that looks very different than what they were prepared for. What advice do you have for those teachers who have kind of been thrust into this crazy moment in education? I think a lot about actually one of my daughter's teachers. The system that we have for third grade this year is that students are with the Spanish speaking teacher for one week and the English speaking teacher for the subsequent week and back and forth. And our English teacher this year is a brand new teacher. She is doing a phenomenal job. And at the same time, I know that this is a real challenge for her. And in thinking of my gratitude that I have for her in, in jumping into this situation at this time, um, I really hope that she and all the new teachers that are swimming these waters right now, that they, that they remember and are able to keep present how important they are and how needed they are. If there's ever a time when we have needed new teachers who have <laughs> been going through school and have been preparing for being resilient, that this is the time. And 
I, my advice is to, if you need to write it down, if you need to have it on your mirror, to have something present to remember just how important you are, because it's a lot to, to be navigating right now. Um, and I also think that this advice is probably valid, not only for new teachers, but everyone, but also to, to walk the talk of the growth mindset. I know that especially now in the last few years that there has been a lot of movement toward helping students develop their own growth mindset and an understanding that, um, that pitfalls are moments of opportunity. And I know that in remembering my experience as a new teacher that we set high expectations for ourselves, but this is, this is a time to definitely try walking <laughs> that talk of remembering that growth mindset doesn't apply just to the students we teach, it applies to ourselves too, and that, and that we need to give ourselves grace. So I would also advise new teachers, continue to give yourself grace as you remember how important you are. Um, and then lastly, to, to do your best to connect with the students, to make that a priority, that especially because there is different opportunity in terms of connection with students, that, that I would say is a priority for all teachers, but also especially new teachers too. Um, one of the quotes that I really feel resonates with me is Maya Angelou's saying that we can forget what people said, we forget what people did, but we never really forget how people make us feel. And that's definitely paraphrasing her words, but for new teachers, I would, I would advise them to keep that in mind that um, being there, being present for them, for their students is, is something that will have a really positive lasting impact. Um, and lastly, I'll say, I would advise them to really get and stay connected, that especially now um, when we may be more connected virtually, there is a lot of isolation in terms of virtual teaching and even hybrid teaching if um, the schedules are so busy and uh, social distancing makes it prohibitive to be together, that find ways to be connected. Um, depending on the size of a new teacher's school um, or the type of school that finding a mentor, um, becoming part of a team to teach, staying connected with former classmates from their teaching programs, friends and family that um, especially now it's, it's really important to establish those connections and, and to cultivate those relationships. Um, it's important for new teachers at any time, but especially now, so stay connected. Definitely, um, you know, I've had a chance to talk to teachers from all over the state and it seems to really help when they just have these spaces just to get together and talk. And there's no really formal agenda. It's just like, you know, you can talk about what's happening. If you want some advice on something, you can get some advice on something, but almost like these kind of makeshift little support groups for each other. And I think that makes a world of difference for teachers right now, just to be able to, just to kind of vent a little bit and, and just be in the same space with someone who knows exactly what they're going through. Because even in your own families, right, your spouses or your older children, like they don't really understand what teachers are going through right now and, and the heaviness of, of all of this and worrying about all of these children. So I would definitely encourage um, teachers to kind of get their own support groups and reach out to teachers from other schools, even if you've only met them once, uh, but you have their contact information, I would just reach out. Um, I think that can make a world of difference. And it also, when you were talking, it reminded me of this kind of analogy that I always use with my students. And I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's called the learning pit. 
Um, so I always put this like graphic up and I'm always like, I'm going to push you over into the learning pit. That's my job to challenge you. It's like, but I'm going to be on the other side to pull you out. You know, it goes through the little steps of, um, you know, what happens and you get frustrated, but then you get some help and you start climbing out of the pit. So I feel like we're all in this learning pit and we have to kind of help pull each other out of it um, in some way or another. So I don't know why that analogy just popped into my mind. <laughs> Because it's absolutely appropriate <laughs> for the moment. <laughs> but, you know, we all make the best of it. And, and I just, I'm, ama- I'm so amazed at what teachers are doing right now. It's just, it's just amazing. So let's switch a little bit to your year uh, coming up, which is, you know, this amazing year of leadership. Um, and I hope that you get a lot of opportunities. I know the pandemic has just kind of thrown this, this whole teacher of the year thing um, off track. But moving forward in your year, what kind of message can teachers expect to hear from you? Or what kind of message do you want to put out there for teachers in your upcoming year? There are a few things that um, I would really like to communicate. And and one of them does have to do with uh, what we were talking about in terms of connecting. And it's that teachers' perspectives are valid and valued. New Mexico is a big state. The, the breadth of our geography, the school districts, the family backgrounds, it's really uniquely extensive. Um, and it's important for, for teachers to really paint a picture of their experience so that they can advocate for what their schools need and what their students need, what their families need, what they themselves and their colleagues need. Um, and so especially coming into this year where what I had mentioned about there's paradox between connectivity with so much more virtual connection, but but there is more isolation because we're limited in terms of our, our traveling. Um, though the, the ways that we're able to communicate our experience, I think have, have always had challenges, but they're especially challenging now. And it's not always equitable. The voices that are heard by people who make decisions often come from specific pockets of the state. And so, um, my hope is to communicate a message that it's not just those certain pockets with the loudest voices um, that need to be heard, that that perspectives of teachers all over the state are are highly valued and that decision makers really need to see and hear those visions. And I know that that's not a new concept. This is something that teacher leaders have been promoting for quite some time here in New Mexico, but because what is normal is so different now that this is an especially critical time for teachers all over to the state to really share and have a platform to share their perspectives um, so that we can work toward equity. This is like the moment when when those voices have an opportunity to really make a difference in terms of decision-making and what we would like to do moving forward for education. So so I would encourage and I hope to communicate a message of take note of your experience wherever you're teaching at here in New Mexico um, so so that your experience can be made known because teachers' perspectives are absolutely valued and valuable here. Um, and I also think that I, I would like to communicate that this is not going to be said to minimize the, the intersecting factors of complication for teachers. I know that we have many single parents who are teaching at the same time and caring for elders and that there is absolutely trauma and there's absolutely extreme hardship that is going on during a pandemic. And that said, as teachers, this is a really extraordinary time to learn. And I hope to communicate that too and and balance the understanding that it is a really challenging time to be in 
And yet it is also a time where we have so much opportunity to really tap into and expand our own professional development. Even myself, beginning in March, April, and May, I learned so much just from my colleagues who were sharing their successes, going online and finding really informal what was professional development for me. Um, but then also with more online platforms for professional development conferences, I've had access to more than I would have had in a normal year. And I feel like my growth in terms of teaching strategies has expanded in a way that's mind blowing to myself. And I hope to communicate that that this really is our moment to, to learn and to continue connecting with the learning of our, of our peers. One of the things that in some of our trainings we've had as an international baccalaureate school is a constant reminder that as teachers, our aim is to be the guide on the side instead of the sage on the stage. Yeah. And um, in some ways, all of this weight that's been placed on virtual learning has really put us to the side in some ways that is pushing us to figure out how to how to be the best guides on the side. Um, we can do that for our students and for our colleagues as well. And so um, highlighting this moment of learning is something that I would really like to do and provide to provide and make opportunities known as well, if I can. Um, and the last thing I would like to communicate is this ability to model resilience, like you were saying with the, the learning pit, that I know that the value of educators has been met with some skepticism in certain circles for a long time. Um, but our, our experience, even in a typical classroom year, really prepares us to be resilient people. We're met with things coming out of left field all the time and we yeah. run with it. This is like the leftist of the left field that I can think of in terms of what we've been dealing with. But um, I think as teachers, we're so uniquely positioned to be at this social vanguard of really modeling um, resilient social development. And so I hope to also communicate a message of our power and our capacity to be these examples of what um, a resilient society can look like, not only as ourselves, what we're providing in terms of instruction, um, but but giving the students who we're teaching right now um, that example of what resilience and um, and flexibility can look like. Yeah, I, I think that the teacher growth opportunities that as teachers we have to grow and really just become um, and embrace the technology and um, embrace the new ways of communication, right? I, one of the things I keep hearing is the appreciation that parents have for the increased communication. Um, even in my own experience and my own first grade daughter, like I feel like I'm more in tune with what she's doing than I was last year. Like I know exactly what she's learning. I know exactly what she's struggling with. Um, and from a parent perspective, I think that's been the most important thing. I think a lot of parents um, who are able to, I know for some parents, it's really hard um, but at least they have a little bit better idea of what's happening in the classroom. Um, but for teachers, I think we just have to, you know, embrace this and continue to grow. And, and once we do get back to normal, um, hopefully soon, who knows, it could be next fall, um, whenever it is, that we embrace those things and that we don't just let all of this technology skills and things fall to the side, because I think we've learned some really valuable things and can really move education in a new direction because it feels like what we've been doing is the same thing we've been doing for decades in some senses. And we've really got to figure out different ways to make this work for all of our kids. Um, 
So I think that message is really important too. Um, any last words, anything else that you want to say? Um, well, I did want to ask you a little bit about bilingual education. Um, and um, maybe do you have any, uh, anything in mind for anything that you might focus on as far as bilingual education? Because it's, it's so important here in New Mexico. In terms of bilingual education, I think that there is kind of a two-pronged approach. First of all, um, kind of addressing the question that you have, that there are st there's still not a lot of critical mass knowledge about what bilingual education is and can be in the state of New Mexico. And the number of programs that we have are both um, small and then also highly varied because we have such a diverse um, linguistic richness within our state. And so being able to put out more information, I think that <laughs> things having um, happened time-wise in terms of the publication of the book that really tracks the history of bilingual education in New Mexico, that this is a pretty prime moment to get more information to the general public about what, what bilingual education has been in New Mexico and what it can be. My experience is, is very unique in that a few school here, schools here in Albuquerque are offering Spanish immersion to students who are largely non-native Spanish speakers. And there is definitely a, a mix of students who bring their linguistic backgrounds to the school, but bilingual education can be anything from immersion in a second or third language to the preservation of language um, that has been a part of our state and this area for millennia. And so the spectrum of bilingual education and getting that information out to the state so that more people can know that it exists here and what it can involve, that that's an important piece. And then also making sure that, especially because the bilingual programs are a minority in the state, that um, the folks who are in those schools have an avenue and a platform for sharing what their experience is like at, to the state and to those who make decisions. Because I know that time and budget and so many other factors mean that when decisions are made, it's really to meet most of the needs of most of the kids. But because one size doesn't ever fit all, I also feel that it's at least important for those in power to understand how sometimes the umbrella decisions can really have a challenging impact on bilingual programs, either with funding or with certification, or even with just encouraging people to go into an, a teaching field um, where they would focus on bilingual education. I know that even within our school, it's a in, a in a state where so many people are bilingual, it's still a challenge for us to find enough teachers to float the number of programs that we have in the state and to set up a system of general cultural knowledge about it and excitement for it and understanding of the value so that we can have generation after generation of, um, of potential teachers who continue to move this legacy forward. Um, I think that language, especially in New Mexico, has such um, a deeply cultural and spiritual element to it in so many ways that for me, it is a really top priority that that be something that we can carry forward indefinitely. 
Um, okay, so now back to if you had anything else um, that you wanted to add or just one final message for teachers as you embark on your journey and, and start making connections with them. My initial feeling anytime I think about the year ahead is a, a really huge sense of gratitude. I am here because I have learned so much from the people who I work with, not only the teachers at my own school, but teachers who I have met through the different teacher leader meetings, through other professional development opportunities that I've had here in New Mexico. And um, I, I, I feel so much that I am who I am and the teacher who I am because I don't teach in isolation. And I do what I do because I, am, I bring what others have influenced me with to the table. And so my biggest message is thank you. Um, and, and also that um, we are in this together. I really look forward to meeting more teachers and more people. It's a profession that I came to later, but one that I am wholeheartedly committed to for the rest of my professional life and beyond. And I'm really excited and look forward to meeting more of the teachers who are listening to this, who are not listening to this. I, I'm really excited about connecting with my fellow educators all across New Mexico. All right. Well, thank you, Elisa. And I know I am looking forward to seeing all of the great things that you are going to do for our teachers in our state this year. Thank you. And thank you to the NMPED and Amoga for its sponsorship. Be sure to stay tuned into Instruction Interruption with Elisa. She will be taking over in the new year. Thanks for engaging with me this year. And as always, thanks for listening.